You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Outdoor Edge and their complete lineup of replaceable blade knives, fixed blade knives, and game processing kits. Now, we've all been there before, trying to field dress your wild game with a dull knife. This is where Outdoor Edge really steps in. With the Razor Safe system, you can have a brand new razor sharp blade with just the push of a button. No more dull blades and no more problems processing your wild game. To check out all of the products from Outdoor Edge, visit OutdoorEdge.com. And at checkout, enter the discount code NATION30. That's N-A-T-I-O-N-3-0 for 30% off of your purchase. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Brought to you by Vortex Optics. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Hopefully, everybody had a great rip-roaring 4th of July. Um, I am I'm a man on the run. I broke the law this uh, weekend, and I let off fireworks inside... Well, it wasn't inside city limits. Technically, it was outside of city limits. But uh, I spent a lot of money on fireworks between me and a couple of my neighbors. And every year, we have this badass party. And every year, we blow up a lot of fireworks and this is now a new tradition i'd say the past oh the past four years we've been doing it and uh it's fun man we have a lot of food we have a lot of fellowship and we celebrate america in that way and we also celebrate it by blowing up a lot of fireworks and we're we're very respectful to the neighbors we go bananas for about an hour and then we're done at about 10 o'clock every single year and that way uh, we have our fun but then we don't give them a reason you know we don't go up into midnight or the wee hours in the morning number one because i'm i'm too old to party that hard anymore and number two it's uh just out of respect so we had a, a really good time and we all i i still have all my fingers we do it safe and uh yeah so i don't know i uh i love the fourth of july Hopefully you guys had a good one. Now, today we're going to be talking with a guy, Jake McCutcheon, and uh, he is, he he's, was in, I believe he was in Wisconsin, and now he has since moved to Colorado for a spell, but he is what I'm going to put, he, he likes to hunt bucks, don't get me wrong, right? He even says it, you know, I, I like to go after bucks, but his main priority is cooking. He loves to cook wild game, and that's his motivator, right? So one of his tasks every year is to fill the freezer. And uh, I think it's a unique perspective that we don't talk about too much on this episode. Uh, you know, there's a lot of hunting strategy. There's a lot of tactics that are involved with hunting deer, uh, especially these big mature bucks that make us go crazy. And uh, Jake, you know, he says he, he likes that. Uh, he likes that side of things too but it was the motivation to get him back into hunting that was wild game wild game was the motivation to get him back into hunting because he loves to cook and you'll hear him talk about it in uh, today's episode so i love the this uh alternate uh view or uh, this different view than what we're used to talking about on this uh on this podcast but we got to do a commercial real quick uh, and i'm going to rip through these real quick uh, lone wolf hunting products, lone wolf tree stands, portable tree stands, man, you know, I love them. And if you are thinking about getting into the mobile game, right, you're sick of sitting on field edges and, and, uh, sitting in permanent stands, get a lone wolf, right? Get, 
become mobile and Lone Wolf can help you do that. I'm a fan of four sticks and the, uh, the assault tree stand. And I'm telling you right now, it will allow you to get in any tree, not just a straight tree, any tree. Learning curve is very short, you know, just a couple hunts and you're comfortable with it. And uh, the platform is self-leveling, right? So you're able to level the tree stand in the in a crooked tree to get you in the exact spot. You know, when it comes to strategy, we talk about the spot within the spot, right? That spot within the spot is where you need to be to kill a deer. And Lone Wolf allows you to get into that spot. LoneWolfHuntingProducts.com is the website. And if you do decide to purchase uh, a tree stand, enter the discount code 9FC21, 9FC21, and that's going to get you 20%, no, that's going to get you $50 off of all purchases over $200. $50 off of all purchases over $200. Uh, Lone Wolf, what is that? LoneWolfHuntingProducts.com. Next is o- Ozonix. Ozonix, uh, man, they're doing some really cool things now, right? They obviously have the the dry wash bag, the closet, the units. They're, they also now have a, um, a device that you can plug into your vehicle. And, uh, you know, it, it helps uh, ozone, you know, put that ozone and uh, kill all the odor and scent in your vehicle. You know, like I'm the guy who, I'm such a dumbass when it comes to the hunting season. I am eating like a cheeseburger and I'll throw the wrapper on on the floor and you know that scent gets all over you run one of these cycles and it allows you to uh, you know it allows you to do all you know kill all that odor it gets on your clothes right before you head to the stand so it's just an additional product um, that you use in this um, decontamination this uh, this scent reduction process that we're all trying to do when we access our stand when we're in our stand and at the end of the hunt when we're uh, dry washing our clothes so ozonicshunting.com and if you purchase one of their units i'm going to go here real quick the orion the hr 300 the hr 200 and at checkout if you enter the discount code nfc21 nfc two one you're going to get a free dry wash bag with a purchase of one of the units so take advantage of that uh next is uh, exodus outdoor gear and, and exodus trail cameras just got a shipment uh in today i got a couple of the renders i have some uh lifts and i have some tracks so i have just about every price point of their trail cameras and how i'm going to use it this year is i'm going to cast this wide net all over the properties that i have access to then if a mature buck comes into one of those areas, I'm going to take down trail cameras from another area, bring them in and really try to pinpoint this buck's movement. Right. And, uh, that's the benefit of, uh, trail cameras, man. It's being able to scout and be in the timber in a small area when you can't be in the woods and, and, and scout and all that stuff. So it's your eyes 24 hours a day. So that's a win. ExodusOutdoorGear.com. Take a look at their render and their uh, new solar panel unit that plugs into the the cameras and keeps you know indirect sunlight. It keeps them running all year round. So uh, ExodusOutdoorGear.com. Take a look at all their trail cameras. And these guys run a lot of discounts throughout the year. So uh, keep an eye out for that on their social media pages as well. And lastly, we have a new um, a new partner on the Nine Finger Chronicle chronicles and that's excalibur crossbows now in iowa i'm not allowed to use a crossbow right however with that said i definitely think crossbows are an excellent option for someone who may be getting older and wants to hang up hunting or um or someone who is brand new to hunting right if if uh, you know let's let's not kid ourselves a crossbow is much easier to use than a compound bow, and it allows you to use that weapon out in the field um, more than just the firearm seasons, right? Depending on what state you live live in, and so I mean, we're talking about a company that has—I wrote it down here. 
uh, a company that has over 30 years of experience has extremely durable products. Just go to their, uh, the website excaliburcrossbow.com and check out the, uh, the video that they have where they basically just beat the shit out of one of their crossbows and it still zips, uh, bullseyes. That's, uh, really, uh, important, obviously, uh, replace your string it allows you to replace your string right on the spot you don't need like a bow press or anything like that that's pretty cool and then the you hear the guy in the video talk about repetitive accuracy right and that's important for all weapons you want a product that fires the projectile down downfield uh in the same spot over and over and over again so if you want to find out more information about excalibur crossbows uh visit excalibur crossbow dot com tons of great information there so enough of the sales pitchy stuff i guess really that's not really a sales pitch right these are all companies that i believe in uh that i have good relationships with so it's not really a sales pitch uh but they are great companies that support the hunting community and support the hunting industry. So uh, go take a look at all of them. And lastly, let's get into today's podcast with Jake McCutcheon. Three, two, one. All right, on the phone with me today, Jake. What's your last name? <laughs> yeah, it, it's a difficult one. It's a McCutcheon. Okay. Yeah. So Jake McCutcheon. Yeah, right. Absolutely. All right. Cool. Yep. All right. So Jake McCutcheon from Wisconsin. How the hell are you? I'm doing fantastic. Absolutely. Uh, we just got drenched here, but now the weather's great. So good deal. Yeah, it's good. Have you guys been getting a lot of rain up in Wisconsin? You're part of Wisconsin. We so I'm in the southeastern, a uh, little bit like half hour north of Milwaukee. Um, we had a huge, huge dry spell for quite a few weeks there, and now we seem to be catching up in the last like week and a half. Yeah. So are you yeah. guys? Uh, are you right on the lake, Lake Michigan? Yeah, yeah, I'm right, right on the lake. Yeah, so all the lake effect, everything that, yeah, that affects me. All right, cool, so, cool. Yeah. Um, so you're you're far enough away from Chicago. How many hours or how far north of you are are you from uh, Milwaukee? Like about a half hour half north hour. of Milwaukee. Okay. Yeah. So does it uh, are you would you say in an urban sprawl or are you uh, outside of the Milwaukee influence at that point? We're outside of the Milwaukee influence. We still have like lots of farm, lots of like country out here. But uh, I mean, it like I said, it's only half hour, so it doesn't take very long to get into the city. Yeah. But it doesn't take very long to get into the country if you head north. So. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, what do you do for a living, my friend? I'm an arborist, uh, nice. cl- tree climber for uh, the layman, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I've been doing that about ten years um yeah i love it that's what i went to school for um yeah it's super interesting so yeah i get paid to play for sure yeah one of my buddy's dads uh not necessarily the arborist side of things uh it was actually my buddy's stepdad his family owned a uh, a tree harvesting or a lumber company uh, where you oh, know cool. and they were recruiting me to be the guy who would walk into the woods and basically say okay this tree has this value basically a quote or an estimate then turn around give it to the landowner and say i see this much value um from your current timber stand uh and we would you know we're going to offer you this much for this many trees and then and then basically yes or no and then a, a different crew comes in and chops them all down but uh with you being an arborist, one of my favorite, um, I guess, clothing companies out there, they make some really durable stuff. It's called Arborware. Are you familiar? Absolutely. I've seen a couple of your posts where you've uh, you've had the Arborware on, and I was like, oh, somebody outside of tree climbing actually wears that stuff. Awesome. Because normally when I see it, I'm like, arborist, tree climber, there we go. Yeah. I can talk to that guy. Yeah. I'll <laughs> tell you what, man, that... Uh, that stuff is awesome. I have I have uh, pieces of clothing from Arborware that are ten years old, and absolutely, I beat yeah. the crap out of my stuff, and that stuff just lasts and lasts and lasts, dude. I love it. Yep, we uh, they're they're like climbing pants, they're saw pants. I've had a coat, I've had one coat for like ten years, and yeah. I wear it almost every day. So. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> man. So, um, 
you kind of reached out to me uh, when I was looking for people. I think I usually go to the internet and I say, hey, who wants to be on the podcast? I'd love to talk with you. And you responded. And uh, you mentioned that you were uh, a later onset hunter, you know, in your early, would you say early 20s? Yeah. And like, like when I was 22, 23, I think I took hunter safety finally. Okay. So yeah, it was definitely, I had always like hunted, like, uh, in the sense that I went up North with my dad and my grandpas and uncles for deer season, gutted, dragged, did all that thing, sat with my grandpa, but I never carried. And I think, uh, I'd worked my like whole life since I really could. So I really didn't ever have time to just take hunter safety until I made myself a little time later in life, I guess. Gotcha. So you did come from somewhat of a hunting family. Oh yeah. Uh, more of a fishing family, but definitely the gun, like the gun season runs like deep in our family. So yeah. that's like, yeah, but I do have family friends that pretty much are hardcore bow hunters and they took me under their wing and like taught me everything I know. So nice. <laughs> that's like, that's where, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Awesome so people. you, you, you didn't really, I mean, you were part of hunting season, but you re- really never took part. In hunting yeah, season, exactly. If that yeah, okay, for sure. All right. Mm-hmm. So, what was it about, you know, Jake at twenty three or twenty two, and that said, enough's enough. I need to jump into this hunter safety class. I need to get my uh, hunter safety course taken care of. I need to get a license, and I need to become a hunter. I'm a cook. That's like what I like to do to relax. That's what I like to do to just calm down. And I was not going to pay for wild game. So I got into hunting strictly because I needed the meat. Okay. There, there was no other, no other reason. <laughs> that's, okay. That was it. <laughs> that's it. Hey, I'll tell you what, that's a good reason, man. Um, Absolutely. So you said to yourself, Hey man, I want to cook wild game. I want to buy my, or I want to, I want to kill the food that I eat. Um, what kind of, what was, what was the reasoning, uh, additional reasoning behind that? Because it, it seems very simple right now, but then you, you knowing what I know about how to get food at a grocery store and how to get yeah. meat out in the wild are two completely different things and oh, they come with sure. logistics and they come with their own set of problems. Right. So walk, walk us through that. Well, I, I don't know. I was working a ton and I I was going to school actually for culinary and I dropped out of that and I kind of was just like bopping around from little rink-a-dink jobs. And a couple of the guys that I was working with at like a landscape company hunted. And then I kind of like talked to them a little bit, got some meat, got some stuff. And then I kind of got back in touch with the guy that I was talking about, whose family took me under his wing. Yeah. He was like, Hey man, you know, we could, we could, you could come out hunting with us. Like you could, and I never had my hunter safety. So it was kind of like him pushing a little bit. And then I had another buddy who was a recent vegan vegetarian who was out of being that and he wanted to get his hunter safety and get into like hunting squirrels and stuff. So it kind of all just fell into place that we were, he's like, I'll do it with you. And I was like, all right. So we were like super, two really old dudes in this hunter safety class. Right. So yeah, <laughs> hey, better, better late than never. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. So when, you know, when you were going through this hunter safety course, uh, did you know what, that hunting season was going to be like i mean were you going to focus on just gun hunting or did you know that you wanted to step into bow hunting as well oh i knew i wanted to step into bow hunting because i had gotten into archery with this buddy and his family they kind of like were like hey you know you should we have a little like archery club in the city that i live in and every monday they have archery and you can bring a buddy so he started bringing me and it kind of i was like oh I'm, I'm i'm decent at this i could do this and he's like well you should get your hunter safety and come and sit and that yeah <laughs> that's that's how that went <laughs> okay so you you uh um what was that learning curve like for you and i know that gun hunting has its own set of learning curves too you got to learn your weapon and and all that stuff but bow hunting has i'm gonna just say a couple more steps in the process oh, yeah. of becoming accurate with a bow. So walk us through what, what your learning curve was like even before you stepped into the timber for the first time. Oh yeah. So 
I was hunting obviously out on like their property and it's all private where, where we're at. So his dad really wasn't about me just like picking up a bow and going out, you know? Um, so it was a, a season of like doing archery and doing these weekly like archery, uh, you know, it's 27, 27 shots and 27 different targets and we do it every week. And that was just kind of repetition. And then out at their house, we, uh, they have a bunch of stuff set up. So we would just go out there. And this was before, like, I met my wife and before, you know, uh, before kids, before really responsibilities. So it was kind of just like uh, every time we could shoot, we we would just go out and rip our bows. So yeah. that was, yeah. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of like uh, I was a skateboarder, a rock climber, and it kind of fell out of that once I, like, needed to start finding a real, real career in things. And I couldn't really hurt myself so it was kind of like a, a new little addiction if you could you know he could say yeah that's awesome <laughs> yeah so um so you you have a couple mentors or buddies that help you with the bow hunting side of things and getting you ready um you know before you even went into the timber to hunt that first season what did you know about whitetails did i mean did you know anything at all or were you oh yeah were yeah you like green so the first like i was saying uh the first time i went up gun hunting i was eight years old and i sat with my grandpa every season so i'd sit at the bottom of his stand and we'd watch deer and he would you know what i mean so i i, I like i i spent a lot of time outside i just never had the licensing to be able to kill something if yeah. that makes any sense yeah so i do yeah I, I know a lot about deer i knew i knew a lot about wind movement i knew a lot you, you know overall i i had that at that point in my life i was like you know what if i'm gonna do this i'm gonna study i'm gonna watch a lot of uh youtube i'm gonna i watched a lot of hunting videos just overall just kind of like really delved into it for like a solid you know, year before I got into the timber, like really solid, like just kind of learning and soaking up as much as I could. Yeah. Okay. So then, you know, you're soaking up all this information, but as you and I know, I can watch a hundred videos on how to be an arborist, but being, oh, yeah. being an arborist isn't like what they see, you know, what they show on the videos. Right. I would probably oh, be that sure. guy who cuts down a tree and it falls on a house. <laughs> you Absolutely. Know, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, based off of the education that you got online and then hunting season comes around and you start to actually get into the woods and walk around, was there a, a big disconnect or did it kind of click for you? Oh, it, it pretty much clicked because I like, uh, I went out and I did all the stand work with him, and he kind of like, when we were out doing that in like July, he was explaining stuff. Like my buddy was explaining stuff to me and like, uh, you can see it, like you said, on the screen, but until you like see a rub, a scrape, until you see deer scat, you know what I mean? Like you don't, you don't start putting the buttons together or like putting the pieces together. And, uh, once I was out there and I, he was, we were cutting shooting lanes and he's like, well, they're going to come through right here. And they're only, their backs are only this high. So, you know, we need to cut it to this. And it was just like an eye opener to like start, you know, putting things together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So walk us through how you're you know high level real real quick walk us through how that first hunting season for you went well i shot the biggest buck i've ever shot <laughs> that was, <laughs> yeah. oh i that, hate the, you my first my first deer and the biggest buck i have to date was um was that first season that really crazy <laughs> i hate guys yeah. like you like it, it's well i realize i i hunt in like a very like is like I can see and hear kids in like behind their houses yeah. through the cornfields. So like these deer, they're 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 used to us, but you, you know they get some they get some size and but they, sometimes I think when they're eating the bird seed out of the back of you know Mrs. Smith's bird feeder that might help me a little bit. Yeah. So how big was this buck? Did you score him yep. at all? No, I didn't score it. It's just 10 points, um, a little bit outside the ears. I didn't measure it. It's on my wall. It's, uh, I, I, maybe I'll measure it one day. I just, uh, it was super exciting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that's about it. Like, um, and that was, I, and then I didn't shoot another buck for quite a few years. It was kind of, yeah. yeah, that was just it. <laughs> so, okay. So it's really old though. I'll tell you super gray face really uh weathered old tore up ears so he had a lot of character to him and uh he came in chasing a doe 
peeing everywhere. I'll I'll remember it for the rest of my life because yeah. I just got to watch it for like twenty minutes, like go down before I took my shot. So that's crazy, man. Um, and did you do, yeah. did you shoot that buck with a bow or a gun that year? With a bow. With a bow. With a bow. I've only ever taken deer with a bow. Okay. All right. I like you already. Yeah. Um, so, so you had success on your first, um, you know, on, on your first year, you shot this big buck. How did that play? Uh, and answer this a couple ways. One from a brand new hunter perspective, but two, you know, you said you got into hunting for the meat factor, right? Yeah, but, absolutely. But then you shot a big buck. Did that have any weight going into the second season on decision making on what you planned to kill that year or were you still trying to fill that freezer uh so that next year um i shot two does if i'm not mistaken and that was it so and i had seen a couple other bucks but i i didn't either i didn't have shots or it just wasn't opportune so um really i'm an like if a doe comes into play that's like she's down yeah <laughs> that's yeah absolutely okay so yeah so you're uh, so your number one yeah, goal just this last sorry so your yeah. number one goal every year then is to fill the freezer yeah, pretty much. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, we had, we got given bonus. I had eight doe tags last year. So, <laughs> so <laughs> I mean, you get, there, there's, there's, there's a plentiful amount. Like we can shoot pretty much as many as we want. Yeah. So, um, you live in an area that, uh, has a, a heavy population. It sounds like. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And you can shoot pretty much as many deer as you want yep absolutely <laughs> okay well that's awesome so yeah. as far as i mean are, so are you into the like the hardcore hunting strategy of, of chasing mature bucks and trying to get a buck um or are you because if you if if i decided to change tomorrow and i said i don't want to shoot big bucks anymore i don't want to sh i don't want to shoot i just want to fill my freezer and the only thing that i would just chase is does it would it would completely change how i hunt where i hunt when i hunt okay everything would change for me because uh i'm not after specific deer anymore i'm i'm i have one goal it's yeah for me to fill my freezer so do you do you get into the the big buck craze and the big buck strategy at all or are you just a hey man i I, I want to fill it. I just want, I want the meat period. And so I, that's funny. So I, I am lucky enough to still have grandparents and uncles. And so I, I shoot a lot of deer for family. So like last year I shot three does and all of them went to one of my relatives, which was really nice because it's nice to be able to fill their freezer. But I did, and I was on a hunt for a very, very nice buck, which I shot at and missed. So I'm hoping he's still around and about this year. And last year was like the first year I had gotten back into kind of that, that buck craze. I just recently had, uh, I have a three-year-old and a three-month-old. So that also kind of changed my thought process in the last couple of years on how I've been hunting. Because I didn't really have the time and, yeah, just the time to put... Uh, boots on the ground to be chasing you know what i mean and yeah. be constantly uh going after like a big deer or a big buck so it was more or less like if i could get out on the stand and something was there i was going to take it yeah so well yeah. that's a win for you man so what have you what have you learned i mean about deer uh in the, in these last what how old are you now i am 34 okay 34 so roughly 10 years 11 years uh you've been under the hunting umbrella um what yes. have you learned about whether it's strategy whether it's just deer hunting overall tell me something you've learned wind it's all about wind it's a hundred percent i've been i've had deer to so committed that i was like drawn back and the lightest breeze come in and they stick their nose up one sniff and they're gone and it's just if you don't have your scent and like 
it yeah wind wind will completely throw a hunt if you're not careful so like i've noticed that even days where i'm like ooh, it would be a really nice hunt and uh, the wind just isn't how it should be i just don't even go when i was maybe a little younger i would have said oh i'm gonna just get out there and see what happens when it's like no i'm not gonna get my scent all over so yeah <laughs> that's my that's my biggest one yeah so how much how much property do you have access to so it's funny. Um, I had access to like, oh, three, four hundred acres um, of it was like a farmer and then uh, a big private owned property, the uh, property of a guy we know who's a subdivider. And unfortunately, this year he subdivided. So our entire uh, hunting property got bulldozed this year. So we had to pull all of our stands, all of our cameras Pretty much everything we put in the last, you know, uh, the guy that I hunt with, his dad has been hunting that property since he was 15 and he's in his 60s. So <laughs> and he's pulled some Pope and Young and, um, you know, some big, very big deer off of that property. So it's uh, it was a shame to see it. But uh, luckily, I got in contact with a, a farmer because I dump wood chips all over. Um, and he got uh, a buddy of mine and me in on like a hundred acre property that butts up to some, uh, big public land. So we're hoping we're going to get out there soon and be able to put cameras and get stands and it'll be a whole new brand new property we've never hunted before. So yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. And that's probably going to push me to maybe hunt a little bit more public too this year, put a little bit more time out on public just cause I don't have that cushiony. And well, and my property was five minutes from my house. So it was, it was a lazy boy kind of hunting. <laughs> yeah. Well, I tell you what, man, yeah. that, uh, it sucks. I've, I've lost some properties in the past that I had been on for quite some time and, uh, losing it really for any reason. Mine was because the, the lane owner passed away and the children decided to sell it and split it up to mm-hmm. a variety. You know, it's like it was 480 acres and I think they split it up to three or four different landowners now. Um, and it was just one of those things where it sucked, man, because you, yep. you, you have history with it. It's, it's been scouted. Um, you know where everything's at and every year you get more intelligence about, uh, about the property and uh, it sucks. And especially, I feel for your buddy's dad, who had been hunting there since he was 15 and is in his 60s now, from a from a nature standpoint, right? Oh, yeah. Watching oh, yeah. a forest just get bulldozed for a housing development yep. is, in a way, sickening. Yep. I'm, I'm right there with you. I drive by it like almost daily and I'm, I look at it and I'm just like, oh, that's where they all used to bed. That's where all the big bucks used to bed to come out right there. And that's where the does. And I can just like, oh, and it's just empty now. <laughs> so it's uh, yeah, it's really, really sad. It's really sad. Fortunately, we do the farmer that owned like uh, it was like a mishmash of two different landowners. The farmer still has his property. But it's it's going to be we'll see how it has affected the deer movement and if we can even really hunt it anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, good luck with that, man. Um, Thank you. So, as far as setting, you know, you know, being this this new hunter, um, uh, has has this opened up your cooking? Right. I mean, because oh, yeah. I you mentioned. You, cooking is a pastime of yours that you love and you love to cook wild game. Um, has this changed you at all as far as how you prepare meals, how you, you know, distribute meat throughout the entire year? Like talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. So my wife isn't much of a wild game eater. So it's more for me, my friends, my family. I don't, if I do something special, it would be like, uh, if the if, if if the kids and the wife are gone, I'd be like, oh, maybe I'll bust something out and you know cook something up. But more often than not, it'll be I'll do big presentations like up deer hunting. We'll do, I'll do two days back to back where I'm feeding ten, fifteen plus people with all of the stuff. You know, rabbit, squirrel. I'll do all sorts of different entrees, and um, you know, feed, uh, get rid of the meat that way, or cook the meat that way. And then the buddy that I hunt with, that family brought me into hunting. Really, they do a big Super Bowl feast where everybody brings their own dish, and it's 
like every animal that you could think of eating is probably there in some form or another. So, um, and if any of my buddies that we hunt with or like at work, we get together and do little cookouts. So yeah, stuff like that. So it goes, it goes definitely. Okay. Um, yeah. so talk, what are some of your favorite recipes that you use with the deer you, you shoot? So I'm a uh, Hank Shaw. I mean, if if you don't know who he is, look him up, and he's yep. amazing. I have all of his books. Um, he, he's a super nice guy, very friendly. Um, I've cooked a ton of recipes out of his books, but the um, there's a shank recipe in there, and oh, I can't even remember what it is exactly called. I just have it marked in the book and a flip to it. Lots of peppercorns, lots of. Um, Oh, you know, I can't, I, it's, it's just evading me. It'll probably come back in a couple of minutes, but it's, uh, it's very aromatic, lots of, uh, bay leaves, but I like using, um, the weird, the wobbly bits, he calls them the heart, the liver, the tongue, the shanks, all the stuff that like people maybe would ho- I hopefully not disregard, but would be a little hesitant and you may be using and call fats, like all that stuff. That's like, that's the goods. So like, that's the stuff that I like to hoard and if I can find recipes. Those are what I practice with. All Generally right. don't cook a lot of the same recipes twice. I like to just like bump through and see, see what they offer. Gotcha. So, now, yeah. so you, you like the shank recipe. Um, and you mentioned some of the, some of the, like I've just in the past three years started keeping heart. Okay. All the, all the other stuff gets is like, I don't do the call fat. I don't save the buttholes. I don't, you know, save save the intestines or call fat, I guess quite yet. You know, I'm, I'm learning. Just wait until you have meatballs or meatloaf wrapped in call fat. You'll never go back. You will honestly never go back because the, the, it is so delicious. Okay. All right. So favorite heart recipe. Um, dude, simple, easy. Do, uh, cut your heart up, put it in a bag or a container with buttermilk and let it sit in the fridge overnight and then pull it out, rinse it off. Um, like, uh, clarified butter, garlic, maybe some like green onions, put it in a pan, fry it up really quick. Done. Simple. That's it. <laughs> maybe a little pepper, a little salt. Yep. That's yeah. it. So my, you know, obviously the heart jalapeno poppers. You know, the, the, mm-hmm. the flavor of the jalapeno and the cream cheese, you know, it's a it's a rookie move. You know what I mean? It, it, because that those flavors overwhelm. I don't want to say overwhelm all the way the heart, but it doesn't it, the, the heart isn't the focus of that that recipe of the, yeah of that dish yeah. yeah but you know as long as you're eating it it doesn't matter however yeah. you want to eat it and however it tastes good to you as long as it's not getting pitched who cares <laughs> yeah yeah so so then the next recipe i tried with heart was heart fajitas and Ooh. so the the green peppers the red peppers the yellow peppers the onions fried up um, then I cut my heart into pinky finger, uh, size slices, right? Um, yeah. I, I marinate them in, uh, soy sauce, uh, and olive oil just for, you know, as the, just as the, uh, the, what am I going to say? As the vegetables are frying up, Yeah. then, yeah. uh, as the, you know, the vegetables are starting to finish cooking, you throw that heart in the pan with it. And basically fry up the the heart in with the vegetables, add a packet of fajita mix, get your tortilla shells. And for some reason, for me, it has to be the raw tortilla shells that you cook individually on the stove. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's the only way. Dude, that's the only way. <laughs> dude, that's <laughs> for a, sure. That, that is a meal that will change people's minds about, uh, in my opinion, change people's minds about eating heart. Yeah. Uh, if... So I, uh, I did an elk hunt a couple of years back and unfortunately I missed, but one of my buddies connected and got in and brought some, uh, elk back and he gave me the heart. So I got to do that up. I did it open faced and, uh, ra- and then, uh, just grilled it. And then when it was quickly done, just wrapped it in bacon and seared that dude, that went over like a, a hit too. So, and those were a whole bunch of guys that were very leery about heart, but as soon as you put bacon around it, changed oh, yeah. their, it totally changed their mind. Yeah. So <laughs> bacon is the cure, right? Absolutely. But that's what I mean about like the heart doesn't always have to be like the, 
the the main pr- part of the presentation just get people to eat it and as long as they and then you can tell them oh yeah that's heart and then yeah, <laughs> yeah. then they're okay with it that's cool all right yeah. so what about uh any other recipes um what's your what's your if if there was a new hunt, a new person who'd never had wild game before and they were coming over to your house what recipe would you cook them tongue tacos tongue tacos dude for a a brand new wild oh yeah yeah absolutely you do a tongue up right and it will it's it's the most used muscle in the animal's body it has no sinew it has no fat it is literally just a hunk of pure it's it's no different than the tenderloin except the tenderloin still has little ribbons of sinew and little you know a little gray little gray stuff in the tongue is perfect man if you cook it right it is so soft and so delicious best cut of meat you'll ever have all right so how do you cook tongue braise it for a really really long time you boil it first peel it braise it cut it up chop it up um fry it up in a pan real quick and throw it on your uh your tortilla with a little onion little cilantro and some like I don't know if you like any salsa or anything. Sure. But if not, just the onions and cilantro. Keep it simple. Okay. Uh, yeah, man, I might, I might have to keep a tongue. How, 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 uh, if you were just going to take like ground, obviously ground deer meat, throw it in the pan, make tacos out of that is less time consuming, but what's the additional time frame for cooking tongue tacos? Oh, you're probably looking at an extra like couple hours, you know, of braising. Uh, it, it, like, just it's really low and slow because it's such a tough piece of meat. So it really it takes a long, long time in a in a slow cooker probably to or or even a smoker probably smoke it for like eh, four or five hours, like really low and slow. Gotcha. All right. Yeah. All right. So, um is there is there a recipe that you haven't tried yet that you really want to try oh well i gotta make my way through the rest of the i'm like a total hoarder of wild game cookbooks so i have just a whole shelf full so tons of recipes in there that i sit and look at um but i it would just be like different animals that i haven't tried maybe to see um like what they taste like, not really recipes, I guess. So uh, other than that, I, I, I don't know. I guess um, I want to shoot, go out and potentially try to uh, connect with like blacktail deer. And I would like to go out and do like a wild boar hunt. So and see what like wild boar, ta- you know, all of that. Yeah. I just want to know what the different meats are like. Yeah. So in yeah. different areas of the country too. So we, I've tasted wild elk in uh, Colorado. Well, maybe I'll try in New Mexico too and see what that's like. See if there's a, so. a different flavor to that meat. Exactly. You huh. know what they're munching on. Yeah, so. absolutely. All right. So um, just to back back up a step if i was going to ease someone into wild game i would cook them my venison meatloaf um, it is i don't know i every time that i cook it in my family there is a fight that breaks out at our kitchen table for who gets the pretty much the scraps of the dish at the end of nice. the, at the end of the meal so we get uh, we get pretty excited about venison meatloaf uh, and and the ground stuff is always the first to go. Um, I just uh, I took a back strap out of the freezer and I thawed it out and I again cooked up uh, peppers, onions, uh, garlic, threw it in with some olive oil, uh, and then I took the back strap. And I know uh, people listening to this will probably say, "Oh, you cut, you sliced up a back strap." You know, like every <laughs> the the there's a group of people out there that feel like the only way to cook a back strap is this on the grill at medium rare uh, at in one big chunk. And I guess I go against the grain a little bit on that. Uh, I, sli- um, I slice so it up. many different ways. Yeah. So many different ways to cook it. Right. Again, uh, I so I slice it up real thin, and then I put it in with uh, some soy sauce, just soy sauce, and then you know I cook the vegetables the same as I would do the fajitas, and then I put the real thin backstrap in with that, cook it just a little bit to where I would say it's medium rare ish. And, uh, then I will take that, I'll put it over a bed of rice 
and then I'll uh, take some uh, General uh, Sow's seasoning mix, and I'll make yeah. uh, General Sow's backstrap. Oh, dude, it is it is ridiculously good, man. It's like butter. Well, the meat is like butter. Well, and see, because you're cutting it, again, it goes with that. It's a very, very worked piece of muscle with a very, like, uh, very little sinew and you know and you when you slice it across the grain and just cook it so quick like that almost like a flash cook there's there's no reason for it ever to get tough it's just gonna be like yeah like butter yeah that's just yeah it, or or you can throw it on a grill i guess whole for 45 minutes and hope you cook it right yeah. and it might be cool in the middle or it might be like shoe leather but yeah. you know if you gotta if you got a way to cook it that's the way <laughs> i'd stick to it yeah so you've mentioned a whole bunch you know we've talked about these recipes that we like um talk to us about some failures that you've had while cooking learning to cook wild game whether that's you know uh oh, deer or yeah. not you know because i'm just coming out of cook the shit out of everything and it take you know you have to chew it for 40 hours in order to swallow it type deal i'm just coming out of that i'm just coming out of the um the, that stage and I'm starting to experiment and really watch temperature of the meat and all that stuff. So walk us through like the learning curve of actually cooking and making it taste good that you've gone through. So I won't, I am a, not, I don't want to, I want to sound humble, but I'm a, I'm a good cook. And that's like what I, I, I wanted to be like a cook. And then I realized that I did not want to make it my profession because I liked doing it. So I guess I haven't had a ton of mishaps. I'm I'm a I'm a foodie to the core. So ever since I've started cooking, I kind of have been really careful with it. So I haven't had a whole lot of like I would say big screw ups or cuz I've never overcooked meat. I've never I've always been I'm really particular about how things are made and how things are cooked. So maybe it would just be not uh I would say not taking my time, maybe processing out a cut enough. Uh, and it, 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 it has some, either some nasty fat or some nasty, uh, silver skin that then I have to deal with later. Um, and, or maybe letting the, like when I shot a deer, maybe like an older deer, maybe letting it hang for a little longer and, uh, letting the meat age out, uh, letting it a little drier and uh, we get a little better flavor out of it because I don't know, <laughs> you shoot a buck in the middle of uh, in the middle of the rut, they get a little bit, they're a little bit different flavor than shooting them in the beginning of the season or at the very tail end of the season. So uh, <laughs> yeah, other than that, just like processing out the meat before I cook it. Yeah. Making sure that that's right. Yeah. That's one thing that I've learned too, is you don't just throw the meat on the grill, right? You got to no. make sure all the silver skins off all the, the, the white stuff is yeah. out of, out of the deer. So, so the guy, and actually going back to where I learned and how I learned the, the guy who, whose family took me under his wing, his dad, like his entire garage is a, a ode to archery we'll say and he builds all of his own arrows and he his hobby is you know making arrows for archery golf and his whole garage is set to process deer so he like before we ever hunted and when we were really little we were always over there helping him skin out deer and process deer and he's the guy that doesn't bring anything to the butcher shop he does it all himself so we trim every little piece and cut out every little scrap so like he's kind of like hammered that home to us that like that's how you that's how you respect the animal so that's another another good way to think about it yeah yeah, yeah. that makes a lot of sense um all right so when it comes to uh, as far as advice is concerned or maybe specific utensils or pans or knives for someone who is coming in to the cooking side of things. Right. Um, and, they, yeah. and they're unsure of what to do and how to do it. What kind of, uh, what advice can you give a, a new wild game cooker? Um, find yourself an old man who's been doing it for a really, really long time and see what he busts out when a deer's <laughs> hanging in his garage, especially if you just drive. I mean, if you're in Wisconsin and it's deer season, just go into some old dude's garage that has a deer hanging and he'll show you what's up. 
But other than that, like I've just collected like through rummage sales and through like I, I never buy brand new. I don't I, I like old old knives that I got to work an edge back into and they seem to 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 work really nice. I don't I don't really know how else to explain that. I like the old steel, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. But other than that, you get, you know, I have my set of pliers. We use a tennis ball to get the skin off. Like we have like all sorts of goofy little tricks to, to you know, to um, to make the process go easier. But you just kind of find that as you uh, as you work through. Yeah. Uh, are you a cast iron guy? Yeah. Yeah. And actually, I've moved over to um, what is it? Carbon steel. So now I'm I'm on this carbon steel kick. So I I do have lots of cast iron, but they've kind of been kicked to the side a little bit. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Um, yeah. All right. Cool, man. So what's what's next on the list as far as uh, hunting? Right. I mean, you have have you? I know you've had and cooked deer uh, elk meat, but are you like trying for any species that? you may have had but you haven't killed yourself um yeah so i i mean obviously if i can get back and um do another elk hunt i would i would love to but that's that's time and money as you know i would love to i mean really any all of the archery seasons that i can get into i'm not a big bear hunter i don't really like hunting predators it's never really been a thing that i like I've gotten into, so I don't really, I don't hike, I don't hunt coyotes, I don't hunt wolves, I don't, if I, if I really am not going to eat them, I don't really plan on hunting them, so I got a bunch of buddies that'll, that hunt bear and stuff, and um, they're into it, and it's good, but it's just, you know, not something that I'm down with. Yeah. Um, Yeah, maybe, like I said, I'd like to do a boar hunt, I would, I mean, really weird, but I'd love to do like a bow hunt for gator, I thought that would be a lot of fun, because it's delicious, so, yeah, I'd be down with that. Um, So I went to a wild game feed Oh man, this was several years ago. Uh, it was at a, it was at like a bow shop, and I ate mountain lion, I ate turtle, I ate raccoon, I ate uh, you know yeah. deer and fish and all that stuff that they had there. But uh, dude, like, there are some animals that <laughs> you know, like when God said, uh, "Take and eat from what I've provided <laughs> you." Like, I don't think He was talking about raccoons, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or so yeah, dude, or possum. Or possum, we, yeah. Yeah, there's some there are some people in the area that I know that'll do uh possum and uh muskrat and raccoon and it's like, "Ooh, I just don't think so. <laughs> just not about that life." <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh the turtle that we had was pretty tough. I don't know how to like so, I, I don't know. Oh yeah, keep going. So I'm uh, a lot of my family's from Missouri and like my mom's side and from the south and my grandma still cooks snapping turtle. So if I catch a snapping turtle and bring it over to her, she'll she'll do it up for me. Yeah. So and she it, it's it's pretty good. I won't don't won't get you long. And uh if you want to catch a raccoon, then you cut the turtle's head off and it's mouth open and you nail that to a tree. And the next morning you'll have a coon in it because it'll go up and try to get it. And that mouth will snap shut. <laughs> is that, is that true? Or am that I is absolutely true? Yeah. That's a little down South, uh, making, making your food, make food for you, I guess. Dang, that's, <laughs> that's crazy. I will tell you this though. I had some, I guess it would just be deep fat fried alligator meat basically yeah. like uh cubed uh breaded and fried that was really good yeah yeah i've uh, i've only had it in brat form <laughs> and it, you know it's funny wisconsin brat form you know yeah. alligator but it was really good and i was about it so what did you think about the mountain lion because i worked with a guy who that is his stick he that is the only thing he likes doing is hunting big cats yeah. and he eats them and he's like ah it's kind of like pork and I was like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it would be like pork if pork didn't taste delicious. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I don't know. I didn't like it. It, it was, yeah. it was, and it, you know, this was a long time ago. It probably, it may not have been cooked the, the way it should have been. I mean, I'm sure when people take, uh, um, uh, you know, a food like a, a possum or a raccoon to a wild game feed, they know that they better cook it well 
because yeah. it's not going like if someone gets sick off of that stuff there's no like there's yeah there's no going back yeah, you know like you, you're the guy that brought the the possum yeah uh, <laughs> we're not inviting randy next year because everybody was throwing up and had diarrhea after the you know the raccoon incident absolutely <laughs> so i i i you know, I remember taking a chunk of it. It did look a little like pork, but it was—I don't know—I I just I didn't fall in love with it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, I figure I like to know if they're eating grain, and I—I I, I think it's all. I'm, I go back to like, what is my food eating, and that's going to contribute to how it tastes. And if my food is eating, I don't know. I mean. Ugh, gross roadkill like I'm not, I'm not really i'm not really about eating it <laughs> right. so yeah yeah all right so let's see here i am thinking i'm trying to think here um you are you like to cook right now as far as the hunting side of things do you have any goals that you're going to try to accomplish in the next 10 years any any big hunts uh, any uh or is it just, man, continue to f- uh, fill the freezer and continue to, you know, rock out cooking wild game? Um, I will be doing another elk hunt. I'm going to hopefully get at least one or two in the next two, 10 years. I would like to. We were trying to do one every three years and that kind of having kids and everybody having kids and having life kind of fell out of favor. So uh, I actually recently got super into duck hunting so i got a boat and i got all kitted out for that now so uh i'll be doing some like mississippi hunting this year and probably putting a little now that i lost that place um it'll probably take us a little bit to get used to the new bow hunting property so i'm gonna be putting a little bit more time out in the swamp shooting shooting ducks (laughs) well cool man well um i've never uh yeah, I've never really, I've been duck hunting one or two times and one, I had uh, such a bad hangover that I just <laughs> uh, fell asleep in the, in the blind. And, uh, the other time was, it was, it was kind of rainy and wet, like the, almost like what you would assume would be the perfect conditions for duck hunting. And, uh, it, uh, didn't pan out. And I think the guy, the other guy who was in the blind with me shot one, uh, one mallard and that was it. And yeah, it can be it can be hit or miss. Um, we're we like we're close enough. I mean, the Mississippi's only two and a half hours away, so we can shoot out there. And Lake Michigan, we have a we shoot divers out there. I mean, we're close enough. So going up to Green Bay and shooting diver ducks is uh, a hoot and a half. So you ever find yourself on this side of the pond, uh, you uh, you give me a call and we can get you out shooting some shooting some ducks. Heck yeah, man! I'm on I'm on your side of that pond. Oh, are you, wait, where I'm are from you? Iowa, dude. Oh, for some reason, I kept thinking Michigan. Yeah. For some reason, I kept thinking Michigan. I don't know why. Everybody I thinks have no I'm idea. Michigan. Do but you hunt in Michigan? I have before. Uh, hmm. what, this year, this past year, I did uh, on basically pure. I got peer pressured into it. But, <laughs> uh, but no, I don't. But I do love Lake Michigan, man. The, okay. the surrounding area of Lake Michigan is gorgeous up there. Okay, well, here, let me reestablish. If you ever find yourself up this way, there you go. <laughs> get, there you go. Hit me up, and uh, I'd be happy to bring you out uh, doing some duck hunting because it's a, it's a hoot, man. It's yeah. a hoot. And hunting on the Mississippi is a, yeah, I've, uh, it's a blast, no pun intended. Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, so. my favorite is when my, uh, during duck season, my father in law is a big time, like just fisherman. So, he's out there you know trying to catch walleyes and whatnot on the mississippi and he's like well i had to get out because it was raining too much lead up there <laughs> absolutely <laughs> get off the yeah, river. i mean that's the that's really the place that everyone flocks to uh in the state i mean that's the major fly th- the fly through other than the lake so yep. and if you got private but you get into the marshes in the middle of the state and it gets really packed with people yeah so especially in the, the public there i so. feel you well, I tell Absolutely. you what, uh, man, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to sit and, and uh, BS with us for a little bit. Um, good luck in the, you know, in in the endeavor of hunting and cooking. And you know what you should do is you should put out a cookbook. Yeah, yeah, I've been I've been told I've been told I should put out a cookbook. I just that's a that is a process because I'm not really I never keep track 
short of I'm just kind of like, oh, I'll sprinkle a little of this there, sprinkle a little of that there. So I, I have a problem keeping track of what I'm cooking and how much I'm using. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, maybe one day, maybe one day once I slow down a little bit. Absolutely, man. <laughs> well, thanks again and good luck this upcoming season. Awesome. Thank you, Dan. And uh, yeah, you as well. You as well. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another episode in the books. Huge shout out to Jake for taking time out of his day to hop on and uh, BS with us a little bit. Huge shout out to all of the partners of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. We have Lone Wolf, Wasp, Ozonics, uh, Vortex Optics. We have Exodus Trail Cameras. We have, oh, geez. Uh, Excalibur crossbows, lone wolf tree stands, wasp archery. Uh, so there's uh, there's those. What is that? Seven. There's there, those seven. Uh, please subscribe to the Nine Finger Chronicles. Right. Go to iTunes. Leave a review. Uh, I'm I'm very confident in the content that I put out and how I put it out. And I firmly believe that the content that I put out goes up against any other content out there when it comes to deer hunting right the stories from average joes just like you who are listening to this you compare it to i don't know there's a lot of content out there that kind of gets me frustrated because it's from the big dogs the like the 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 one percent of the the i guess you want to call it the industry whatever and those to me it's it's not relatable how can i relate to being gone 200 days a year how can i relate to hunting 50 60 70 days a year how can i relate to going like i'm lucky i I get to go on some hunting trips throughout the year but i don't get to go every weekend and i don't get to go you know like i see a lot of this uh people getting information from these people and yes the principles that they're that they are using definitely work and they're great it's a great resource but how is that relatable to uh to the guy who's working 60 70 hours a week right busting his ass and then he gets you know five days to hunt a year right i don't know maybe that's just me but it is what it is so uh sportsmansnation.com go check it out dude we have so much good content it's not even funny uh, we have new podcasts coming out almost every month now, multiple new podcasts coming out every month. So there's definitely a niche for you to be found at sportsmansnation.com. Uh, be good to your neighbor. Good vibes in, good vibes out. Wear your safety harness, and we'll talk to you next time. Oh, 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 oh,